Welcome to Two Pastors Take a Walk and Make a Podcast. This is Yolando, and we are not talking about our three questions today. Today, we are talking about entering into 2020 and our goals and intentions for the new year. Yolando doesn't like the word goals. I don't like the word goals. I don't know why. I just, I never use that. It's just not part of my thinking, vocabulary, whatever. I don't talk about goals. Um, But our main... um, objective are, are thinking about this is in ministry it and in life it's important to um, be vulnerable it's important to be responsive it's important to not try to control everything all the time and just to remain open to how the spirit might um, move you and to be interruptible I mean all of those things are very core values and we are um, not called to do things for God but be a particular peculiar kind of people in the world absolutely um and so and a lot of times ministry is and should be reactive um and yet it's good often just to stop and take stock and there's nothing magical or sacred about doing it right now except that everyone else is mm-hmm. <laughs> so you might as well um you know take this moment to say that this life that we have and general is a gift, and ministry is a um, is both a calling and a privilege to do it in this format. And it's just good to stop and look at um, how we've been pastoring and um, be intentional about where we might want to make some steps and shifts. Um, so that yeah, and is can the I spirit. can I add not only how we've been pastoring, but just living in general. Right, and, Rem- that, <laughs> and we were talking beforehand because I have three. Yolando has eight. Yes. <laughs> He's like, are your church goals or life goals? And I said, well, I mean, they're, um, I mean, I'm, this is either really healthy or really unhealthy, probably really unhealthy, but I, I mean, it's so all the same, you know, like how I want to, my church is my community and, and the work that I do is such a huge part of who I want to be. Um, so oh, most of you extroverted soul. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I mean, I, I suppose, I suppose I should do the same work of thinking about my life as a mother and as a wife. Um, but I haven't. So mine are, are, are church focused. As they say, do you boo? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Let's not say that. Okay. Ever. Let's not say that, but all right. So, um, you have more, so you should get started. Well, I'll begin by saying one of the ways I think about this is um, I just start with the reality that the new year does not erase the challenges, the struggles, the problems of the previous year, right? They know how to turn the page of the calendar and follow me into the next year. But what the new year allows me to do is to reorient myself toward God. And Mm -hmm. that's where the power is for me. So uh, having said that, the first thing on my list is to embrace my process, quote-unquote. I have a way of doing things, and so often I get with my <clears throat> extroverted friends <laughs> who have a different kind of process. Like, your process, you're, you're, you, you very quickly know what you think, and you're like, okay, I get an idea. It's like idea, one minute, implementation the next. And for an introvert, that can be very tempting to want to adopt, right? Because it... It seems so, um, and I'm sure it is, uh, so confident, so powerful. And my process just isn't that. And when I try to do that, things just go really poorly. Um, but my process process is when I get an idea, I just need to sit with it for a good while. And then I need to explore it inside and out all sides, just look at it, every nook and cranny, and then pull the trigger. When I allow myself to do that, um, I just have so much more success and confidence and joy 
um, in not only ministry, but life in general. So my, my first goal is to just embrace how I'm wired in terms of doing new things. That's very interesting. I, I, um, I think... Like, I can I give an example? Sure. Like the whole... Um, well, two come to mind. Number one, when we were talking about starting this, pro- uh, this podcast... Right. <laughs> you, we got the idea. We were walking and I was like, that is a great idea. We both agreed. And you were like, OK, when are we going to start? When are we going to start? Let's let's do we. There's no time to start like the present. And I'm thinking, no, I need to study sound and how do you do it and what um, uh, what uh, who's going to host our podcast. And I just needed to work through that. It was the same when we talked about doing videos like I needed to study lighting and sound and how to record and editing and all of that stuff, then I was ready to do a video. And that's just, I'm just wired that way and I need to embrace it because I fight it a lot. Yeah, I mean, it's just interesting to to see how you, how you see things because um, I have a lot of ideas that I never implement because I don't have the discipline to do that, mm. you know, behind the scenes invisible work that's required to make something actually you know successful so i mean i might have said yeah let's start tomorrow we can like press record on our phones but then i would have been like well shoot now how am i going to get this out there so i think i mean both i i at both ways are really important and um, neither good nor bad they just are well i i mean but i also think just um, what is interesting for me and the, the edge of discernment for me all the time is how do you tell the difference between this is a place where God is calling you, the spirit is leading you to grow and change in healthy ways, or this is a place where it's about accepting your gifts and your unique ways of contributing and your limitations. And that, and that's just a hard thing mm-hmm. for, for me to discern is, um, so if I say, you know, I'm not very good at meditating on scripture. I could just say, well, this is me and I need to embrace it. Or I know, and I think wisdom says, maybe that doesn't come easily for you, but that does not mean that it's not edifying and beneficial and even necessary for you. And so just finding that that line of when is it wisdom to say, hey, I'm just never going to function in that way and that's okay. I wasn't designed to function in that way. Or finding the line of just because something doesn't seem initially pleasurable or fruitful for you doesn't mean it won't be. And so, so figuring that out um, is difficult um, for me. So I don't. God, I'm glad you're embracing who you are. I'm. I'm not <laughs> embracing who I am because <laughs> I think I need to do more of that sort of invisible behind the scenes work. Anyway, do you? Yes. Okay. You know I want to push back on that, but, but you can't okay. because it's my turn. I- and so um, my, it, it's interesting, one of my big places of intention for 2020 um, is I, I have a particular process um, with which I, through which I create my sermons, um, which involves a lot of um, studying and thinking and note taking and talking and pondering during the week. But um then I generally get up very, very early on Sunday, and while I might have an outline, I create it, I write it on Sunday mornings. And that, I mean, first of all, everybody in the whole entire world will tell you that's the wrong way to do it. Um, And uh, I just, I want to play with my process this year um, because... Because it's that line, like it's difficult for me to discern, is this just the way I do things and that's fine and I can accept it and embrace it? Or do I need to push myself um, to do something scary and uncomfortable and different for the sake of experimentation so that I know, you know, is this my process because it's what is best and most fruitful for my gifting? Or is this just what came naturally and easily and trying something new would really um, just expand um, the Lord's ability to use my labor in that way. So, um, Do you have a sense of how you want to change your process? I have a sense that I don't want to talk about it, even on our podcast <laughs> with tens of people listening. I mean, 
you know, I, I think I am a person who struggles with perfectionism. And so, um, the timing of how I do my work really helps me overcome that because if I am writing on a Sunday morning, it's no matter, no longer a matter of that's not good enough. Let me think of something better because I know that I need something on the page. So my big fear with, um, starting to commit to the page earlier is that, um, I'm going to get stuck with something that just isn't, isn't good or isn't the best or I'm, you know, sunk cost fallacy that I'm going to have something, you know, on a Friday that isn't good, but I won't want to scrap it and start over. You know, I just, I have lots of, um, fears about that. And, um, but I just, I just need to experiment with it and see what happens because I often sit down from the preaching moment and then not often, but regularly and then go, Oh, you know, this, this was really the main point that I should have expanded on more. Or, you know, sometimes just the beginnings of my sermons are lots better than the endings of my sermons because, um, so anyway, I just, I would like to, to play with that. Not in the sense that, I mean, I'm very clear that what is holy and edifying and sacred in the preaching moment is the work of the Holy Spirit. Um, and it's not me and it doesn't come from me. Um, but I also just would like to um, do as much as I can to to labor as well as I can in the vineyard in that way. So that's one of my goals. Wow. So we'll see how that comes. Don't anybody ask me about it. <laughs> Everyone is going to ask you about it. Every That's how we're really going to see who listens to this podcast because people are going to be like, hmm, how are you doing on that? Okay, so you, what's next? One of my intentions for 2020 is Are you going to edit that big, long pause out? No, I, you know, I'm an introvert. I'm allowed to pause. Feeling a little cheeky. Yes. Um, I want to, I'm going to trust, this sounds the way I intend it to, but I want to trust my gift of discernment. I was having a conversation with my wife and, um... (laughs) Hannah asked me, she said, um, do you know why I married you? Like, which is really kind of loaded, right? Because yeah. my ego my ego is thinking, <laughs> okay, this is going to be really good. And um, I said, well, I think I have an idea, but would love to hear it. She said, I married you because I know, she said, one reason I married you is because I know that you know how to hear from God. You know how to discern God's will for your life, for church, for family. That's a gift that you have. And I like that. So now for, you know, for a split second, my ego was like, was it my looks or blah, 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 whatever. But in hearing her say that, I realized that, you know what, I really don't embrace that. And, and I, I know I do have a gift of discernment and often I will put it in a box when it comes to church uh, not so much at home because it's it's a welcomed, uh, you know, Han will say, look, if you ever tell me you have a sense that God is wanting us to do this thing or that thing, you have my full yeah. ear and attention because I know that you take that really seriously. Well, and that's interesting because why does Han say that? Because she loves you and she trusts you and she understands that that is how the Lord works in the mm-hmm. world is through mm-hmm. people. And so it's interesting that in a church community, and I think also in particularly in Presbyterian culture, we have such a fear of how that can go wrong Yes, that we don't want to take advantage of that, right? And, and we, I have often put that in a box. Like, you know, I have the strong sense that God is saying this. God is calling us to do this and I will really soft pedal what Mm -hmm. I say to the church and I I need to stop doing that I need to own listen I think God has spoken here and I'm not coming down the mountain like Moses saying thus says the Lord I want to offer this to you in humility saying I sense that God is saying I feel I think God is saying but very clearly say in my leadership, I'm seeking God's will, God's voice, and I think I'm hearing clearly, and so I want to offer this to you. And, and way too often, 
I don't do that. And that's well, something I want to change. And I think one of the reasons that it's hard to do that is because I think in, in typical Presbyterian churches, we have no functional relationship with the Holy Spirit, right? Mm-hmm. That, that mostly people think they're going to discern God's will and voice through the tradition and through the institutions. Yes, and let's so, look at our resources. See if we See if we can do it, you know, right. financially or people power. And if we can, then we can. Let's look and see what Calvin said and then try. I mean, you know, like there are people that we look back in in history, dead people who mm-hmm. we go, oh, no, those people clearly heard from God and can be authorities in our lives. And people in certain positions um, of authority and power in the church, but not, you know, not my pastor. And I think also it's a misunderstanding of the priesthood of all believers that makes us wary around the idea we have this idea that, well, um, the priesthood of all believers means that every believer is called to contribute in the same way mm-hmm. and to have the same um, weight of authority in every situation. And so to be able to say, I have an openness to the fact that the person who has been called by God to be the pastor of this church in this season is not holier or better or more beloved Um, to God than I am, but may have a particular gifting or spiritual practice Mm -hmm. that makes this person able to um, provide leadership in terms of spiritual direction for this congregation. And I think it's interesting because we have people who, some people who listen to this podcast who aren't mainline believers. And so for, for them, the idea that there would be some sort of hesitation around the pastor saying, I believe that I've discerned that God is calling us in this way, and people would be like, yeah, duh, why else do you have a pastor, right? Yes. But we have this huge um, need in our congregations to control pastors. We have a, a fear that if we follow pastors, it's going to run to like egomaniac, la la, antichrist land mm-hmm. that I think we've swung just way too far in the other direction but I think the image of, of Han and mm-hmm. you is such a good one that um, if our churches are, are healthy then there's real just wells of trust mm-hmm. and real authentic love mm-hmm. that exists in the relationships between pastors and church members and that, that um, common understanding of how the Holy Spirit works that love and that trust creates a space where a pastor can say, hey, I believe that God is calling us to do this. And people in the church say, well, hey, you're the pastor. I love you. I trust you. I believe that God works in this ways. And so I'm going to give that some weight. I'm not going to, you know, put on my, you know, automatron machine head and say, thus saith the Lord. I get that you're a person, but I'm also not going to automatically approach it as if it's a threat or how can I knock this down or what's wrong with this, right? Mm -hmm. And so Mm -hmm. I I think, um, yeah, I think that's great because I think regardless of whatever the thing that's being discerned is, um, there's also just a helpfulness in in naming that before the congregation. And then if there's pushback saying like, okay, let's unpack this. Why are we so uncomfortable as a congregation in considering not that you as an individual – would have but the person who holds this role mm-hmm. you know would be able to lead in this way would be able to seek the lord on behalf of the community and then that the elders would and then through them the congregation would be able to listen and prayerfully discern and respond to that so that it becomes not a power structure but a struggle but a mutual seeking after the will of god yes um on sunday morning this past sunday i stood before the congregation to introduce our theme for 2020 and i just walked them through my process i said back in august i started seeking the lord on our theme for 2020 and when i thought i heard something i just sat with that for weeks and weeks and weeks then after a few weeks when i thought okay i think i heard clearly i submitted that to the elders and said, okay, what are you all hearing? Do you get any kind of check in your spirit? Is there anything that would cause you to say, mm, not so sure? If so, talk to me about it. So I, I submitted it to them. And then after a couple of months of that, I felt like I was ready to stand before the congregation and say, look, um, 
I think God has spoken about our theme for 2020 and here it is and I'm excited about it and here's the why. Mm -hmm. Um, But um, yeah, that's something I need to do more often. Well, and I just think that it's it's interesting how um, as humans, especially as humans who have been moderately, mostly well served by the systems in the world, um, how much more comfortable we are receiving authority from a book than from an actual person in our midst, right? That sort of the traditional wisdom or the common prevailing wisdom feels like less scary to allow those people to lead us, but to just sit in our sanctuaries with the scripture in the presence of the Holy Spirit and say, actually, God, there's no one else who is as much of an authority on our particular church as you, and there's no other group of people than us who are as interested in discerning and seeking that. So let's us mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Conti- like begin that conversation instead of beginning the conversation by going to the presbytery, going to the publishing company, going to the conference. Yes. Let's just us begin yes. this yeah. conversation. And I think we're just really afraid of that because it leads us into a space where like, if I have to do this in my local church, then do I need to do this in my own life? And yes. are there times where God might call me to do something that's out of step with my neighbors or out of step with my other family members? Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes we have to be leaders and not followers. So yeah, that's, that's so what's stuff. next for you? Uh, uh, well. Wow. You, <laughs> you grabbed your head like pain. Um, so I think that I really need to create some space and structure and accountability for myself about doing some writing outside of sermon preparation in this year. Um, there've been some opportunities. Would that be in the form of a book? (laughs) Uh, I think we've had this conversation before. I just, um, because of other things that we've discussed, Mm. never have I ever in my entire life written anything longer than 25 pages because that's as much as I can write in one day. (laughs) Believe me, I've tried. Um, And so I am really wary about attempting anything longer than that. Um, I... Well, because you have nothing to say. It would be so challenging. I mean, what? Okay, I'm sorry. So, technically, technically, very technically, someone who works for a publishing company associated with the denomination has invited me to do some work and submit something that could turn into a book and I have just been ignoring that because it's hard work and I don't want to do it. And I don't want to, um, I don't know. I mean, I don't even know why. I just, I, I, anyway, so. So uh, there's got to be something more than it's I'm hard not work. doing psychoanalysts like, here like, on this podcast. What? All I'm saying is I really believe that I have discerned um, that in order to be faithful, Mm. I need to attempt to do this. And so that is my role is not to think about what the product of it might be or whether or not anything ever comes from it. I need to be faithful to um, putting the time in to, you know, creating the first steps of this thing. And so I'm going to do that. And I, Right. We don't even need to talk about what all my issues surrounding why I haven't done in the past. It's irrelevant. I think this is what faithfulness is, what being faithful will look like for me in 2020. It's difficult to say that because I have real doubts about whether or not I will be able to, or I'm not, I'm able to, obviously I'm able to, whether or not I will follow through on it. Um, But I I think I I need to do it. So that's exciting. Well, I mean, I'm glad it's exciting for you. It's it's really um, it's a difficult thing for me to say. So there we go. Wow. I don't want to talk about it anymore. <laughs> That's going to go over really well. What's next for you? Something very practical. Okay. And I think you will like it. Great. I need to start running again. Oh, I love it. I love it. I love it. Oh, 
listen. I'm sorry, that's going to be really needed you know. to be audio adjusted. <laughs> <laughs> because listen, listeners. I'm, I'm watching the, we, the audio feed and it just really spiked. <laughs> we So we started out 10 years ago. Yes. We were not two pastors who took a walk. We, we ran. Yes. We used to run yes. twice a week. Yes. And, and when we started, and probably now, I haven't been running lately either, but... We, you were a better runner and a, yeah, and a stronger we, runner than yeah. I was. And um, I got old and fat. No, you didn't. <laughs> either of those things. But no, what happened was I got pregnant with Carrie. And so I didn't want to run while I was pregnant with her. And we have just never started well, running there's together something, There's again. something else. There's something else. Um, um, also during that time, I developed asthma. Mm-hmm. And um, I've really had a hard time getting control of my breathing. Like a couple of years, I got bronchitis like five times a year. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was really bad. And one of you know one of the mistakes we made. Do you remember that time we ran? Um, what is that place called? The Mallard Creek Greenway. Yeah, it's just covered with trees. Yeah, and. Um, we thought I was having a heart attack, and really it was um, an asthma attack. I mean, I was just breathing so hard, and we had to stop. And that's when you informed okay. me that if I passed out and you had to do mouth to mouth, that that was the end, end of, of our, our friendship. friendship. Yes, <laughs> yeah. you're very good. Like I, mean, I will, I will help you stay I will alive. Happily save your yes, life. Yes, but we can no longer be friends. <laughs> um, and so I went to see the doctor after that, and my doctor said, um, "You've developed asthma," and that just really stopped me in my tracks and I really haven't been intentional about taking care of that and uh, just within the past I mean that's been a couple years ago but just within the past six months I have been more intentional about my medication and um, other things and I'm like okay I think I'm ready to be more disciplined about this and I'm I'm ready to start running again so I'm, I'm determined 2020. Okay, well, that makes me really happy because I have really wanted to um, I know. reincorporate that. I know. So, oh, yay. Well, that makes me really... But you'll have to be kind. Listen, I... We'll have to start slow. I was going to say, I, ha- I have been working out, but I've not been running. And okay. running is just a different... It's just different than yeah. any other form of yeah. exercise. So I basically feel as though I will be starting from yeah. zero. And I mean, and I remember... And I think I had to go through a little grief process. Like, yeah. in my head... I still, you know, I'm kind of 25, but as I approach 49 this year, I'm like, oh, hmm, yes, you are very middle-aged, so just... But what I think is so great for me about running, um, not to sound too ooh-la-la, but spiritually, what's so great for me about running is I hate it, um, and I can't do it, but if I submit myself to it over time... I get stronger and stronger and I get better and better and I realize that I, you know, I you just develop a capacity by doing a thing that you don't have when you stop doing it. And then I do not like running, but I grow to hate it less and less the more I run. And what I love is having run. I love yes. having run. Mm-hmm. And I love just the way that it that I feel after I've run and I feel Um, like I think differently while I'm running, it's just a good thing. And so I think for me, um, it is a good discipline. It is. It's helpful for me to realize that there are just things in life that I need to approach. Like I approach a run, which is like, this is going to be uncomfortable, but I don't have asthma, so it's not going to kill me. And it might be unpleasant for a little while, but if I push through that and endure, you know, the, the rewards of that and the fruit that comes beyond that are really good. And I think, you know, as a person, trying to follow Jesus, there's just a lot of things that, you know, wisdom that the, the tradition that the gospel, that the Lord calls us to do that we wouldn't pick for ourselves because they're not comfortable and they're not immediately pleasurable. And yet they're good for us. And, and we can't, you know, there's just some things that you, you need to submit to and trusting the wisdom of God. And for me, running is just an embodied way of experiencing the truth of that so that there are times when you're discerning choices in ministry or in parenting or other places where you can say doing this would would feel good and doing that would feel uncomfortable and bad but I know that that thing that is hard is the thing that will give life and I just can't always choose the thing that's easy and comfortable and pleasurable 
that choice is not always wrong, but it's for sure not always right. And we just need to be able to develop wisdom about that. Well, the that. other day we were talking and we said not everything that feels bad to you is bad, bad for, for you. you. Right. Yes. And, and not everything that feels good is good. That's right. And so, I, yeah, I do really think that a, a running discipline is really helpful for me. And also it's just helpful for me. And it's interesting in the context of the resolution that I just, you know, barfed out before this <laughs> that, you know, I mean, I have run two half marathons and... Um, not that that's any big deal. I didn't run them fast, but they were not things that that was not something I thought I had the capacity to do before I did it. And now even looking back at them, I can't believe that I ever did it. And so it's just helpful to realize, you know, you, you can grow and change and do things that you didn't think was possible, but not if you don't start walking in that direction. Try. Yeah. Take steps. Blah, yeah. blah. Now we sound like every stupid podcast but ever. On those things are true. Okay, yeah. Which is why people The important say thing that. is, you've just put it out there. I know. That, and, and I, I know. just can't wait. Like, how long and do we have to wait before we can change the name of this podcast to Two Pastors Who Take a Run? <laughs> hey. Really nice. Maybe not long. Excellent. So what's next for you? Um, I just think that one of the things that I need to be most intentional about in pastoring, and I've done this for a while, but just saying it again, is leadership development within my congregation that we have just incredible, incredible, incredible people um, who God has called to be part of this community. And um, I think that one of my my strengths as a pastor is that I really um, don't need to control how things look. Um, and I don't, I'm not a micromanager. It's easy for me to make space for people to come in and to a new role and, and to, um, that that's easy and delightful to me. What is more difficult for me is to understand that not everybody has the personal orientation and capacity to step up and raise their hand. Um, and so, but just because somebody isn't the kind of person who would step up and raise their hand, that does not mean that they're not a person who isn't called and gifted and equipped to make really meaningful ministry contributions. And so I just want to be more intentional in this year about looking around and saying, you know, who is here with gifts, who who needs an invitation and some nurturing and mentoring and development so that they can just experience, you know, what you and I experience all the time, which is the deep joy of doing the thing that the Lord has called you to do for the sake of the kingdom, right? Trusting in God to be faithful. And so I don't want the Grove to be a place where extroverts get to grow in ministry and introverts sit on the bench. And I think, you know, my default is, oh, anybody who wants to gets to without realizing that some people don't know that they want to, or some people don't, you know, just don't have the experience or the or because of the fallenness and brokenness of the systems in the world, you know, don't understand how much they have to offer. Um, and, and so it's our job to, to, you know, highlight that and to create pathways in. And, and also um, just being really, um, and this is where I think it's helpful for me to have some right expectations. You know, the, one of the gifts one of the huge gifts of the Grove is just the diversity of the congregation, not just racially, but in terms of, um, you know, economics and life experience. And so there are lots of people who, who do have gifting and do have desire, but because of, um, external constraints, like I work a job where I get scheduled Sunday mornings, or I work a job where I get called in with no notice, or I work a job where, my financial security is pretty low. And so if my car breaks down, I'm out of luck. Right. And so those things, the Grove can make it hard for some people to make commitments. And so it's just walking in the tension of how do you keep inviting people into ministry and having right expectations of them and having lots of grace for the times where people, you know, want to, but can't Mm. and just, you know, find finding that balance. Um, Because I think, as a mainline pastor, to the extent that I've been taught to think about leadership development at all, which is minuscule, you know, you you are just the assumption is that everyone in your congregation is going to be a middle class 
person who has certain amounts of control and agency in their own lives. And um, that should not be the case in a healthy, vibrant church. Um, And so what does it look like um, to make sure that just because someone doesn't have a working life that allows them to know their own schedule, they still have the capacity to contribute in meaningful ways. What, what does that, what does that mean? So, um, thinking through that leadership development work is really important to me. And I feel like it's one of those things where I can't wait for somebody else to tell me to do that because, you know, the agencies, the book, like nobody's going to nobody's going to tap you on the shoulder and say, Hey, you really need to work on this. And honestly, even in our inside the congregation, you know, because the larger, I think Christian marketplace culture is there are superstars in churches and then everybody else just follows around, you know, being able to say, no, 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 this, this work is really important. And while we each have distinct roles and responsibilities in the church, you know, building up the saints, um, is, is the primary work of the pastor, even though it's often invisible. I mean, people can't see that you're doing that. So mm-hmm. anyway, that's, that's what I'm thinking about. Very good. And so often our ideas of leadership development are focused around the training of elders. And right. it kind of begins and ends there. And right. so, um, and, and I would put what you're thinking about, not only in the category of leadership development, but disciple making in general. I mean, you're just helping people live into more fully following Jesus. Well, and we have a, um, a practice that we try to sustain of having quarterly leadership, um, meeting gatherings for the congregation. And they're called the way because we're saying we need people in leadership to think about not just what they do, but the way that Mm -hmm. they do it. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, Corinthians 13. But what we say to the congregation is, hey, everyone who is in this community is a leader because you, because we define a leader as someone who is serving and someone who is contributing to the culture and of the, of the community. And the reality is, um, you know, it's people who don't think they're leaders. I mean, we're all leading people either closer or farther away from life with Jesus Christ. And so if we think like, yeah, the person in charge of children's ministry, they're the one who who are leading children and they're the ones who are pouring into children. I mean, they are, but you are too, either intentionally or unintentionally. If we think, you know, well, the person who's in charge of hospitality or who's in charge of evangelism, they're the ones who are responsible for yeah. leading people yeah. Yeah. to the Lord or helping people get connected. I mean, you're right about them, but we are to every single one of us. If leadership is influence, then everyone has some influence in some way. Though Miss Sandra, who gives our Matthew candy every Sunday, she is a leader. She is influencing our child. She is influencing what he thinks about church. And what the early church understood so well was if the gospel was going to be spread in the world, it was going to be spread through them. And then again, as... American Christians, because our culture is so focused around our institutions, we think, well, no, the presidents of universities, the president of the nation, the elected, you know, there are people in certain positions who are responsible for leadership. And I am someone who can criticize that or observe that or participate in that. And that is the cultural model. I mean, I would argue, you know, that's not even really the model of democracy, but it's certainly not the model of the church. And so getting people to understand that we have influence and we have responsibility and we need intentionality around how we do the things that we do. And um, so, yeah, so that's something about. So next, you. Well, uh, this, does it piggyback on what you just said? Not sure, but um, we were talking on the walk about uh, this woman in our church who is turning 90 in February and she is loved and she's wonderful and sweet and has just a fantastic uh, story um, in terms of her life with Jesus and um, she is very open about sharing it and so she is not shy at all and so we're looking at ways to honor her And 
I had a thought um, a number of months ago that I wanted to help people share their stories because I believe every believer has a story to share. But we have so many people in our congregation who would never stand up on a Sunday morning and say, here's my testimony. Here's what Jesus has done in my life. But I've been thinking about doing these video interviews and just having people share their stories and allowing us to share them on Sunday mornings. And to start with this uh, woman turning turning 90 who is um, very open and um, very willing to share her story, if I could get her to do it, then I would invite others. Um, you know, there's, there's a woman in our congregation who is wonderful that I have high admiration for and great love for. Her. And I talked about her on this podcast because she was, she's really the first person at Dorita Church to um, invite me to be her pastor. Uh, and she sp- spent, gosh, about a year and a half, I think, going through um, uh, treatments for cancer. And so this past Sunday, we celebrated her one-year anniversary of being cancer-free, and um, I would love to interview her. There's another uh, woman, and I just got her story, coming through some pretty horrible abuse and how um, God kept her and carried her, and uh, really want to capture these stories in a series of, of interviews, and want to start doing that pretty soon. And so I'm doing my my process of mm-hmm. studying how to do um, interviews, watching all of these tutorials on lighting and, um, you know, how to, you know, do camera angles, you know, when you're doing interviews, because I really want this to allow the saints to shine in terms of their their testimony and, and to give voice to what Jesus has done in their lives. And so I'm looking forward to doing that in 2020. It's funny how much I want to say to you, it doesn't matter how well they're produced, just do it, just get it out there. Authenticity is what matters. But I recognize how ironic that is given what we said before, so I'm not saying that. I think it's great. I think you need to call it For All the Saints. For All the because Saints. Because I think it helps to say, you know, all the saints have a story and you know, again, I think the culture uses the word saints to mean a person that the culture recognizes as valuable, mm-hmm. but but the the um, believer understands a saint as one who has been called by God, and so all the saints have a story that glorifies the Lord, and we need to help people, you know, uncover their story, to allow God to write their story in their lives, and to really understand that the more we tell our individual stories, the more we help other people remember or, or go on their own. So I think And as an introvert, I wanna I wanna find and I see them. I wanna find the introverts in the corner of our church life, in the corners of our church life, and uh, inspire them to share. Um, because I've heard some of their stories and they have much to share. They are and I and I get it because I'm one of them. They can just be slow to share the great things that that God has done in them. That's great. I'm out of goals, friend. You're out of goals? Oh, well then, allow me to carry on. Um, Oh, we talked about this on the walk as well. Um, You know, as a a man in general and as an African-American man in particular, it's just really hard to find safe places to feel my feelings. I got to the end of 2019 and just realized I had a lot of stuff, a lot of emotions bottled up. You know, one of the, you know, it's, it's like, okay, so there, there are things going on in our society that make me angry. It's hard as an African-American man to find a place to express my anger without our society's um, NFBP coming up, natural fear of black people, Mm -hmm. right? And so, and not only fear, I mean, not only anger, but I find it difficult to find places to express sadness, Yeah. right? Um, And even... You know, the women in my life who love me and support me, and I know they care about me and all sorts of good and wonderful things, can 
get uncomfortable with male sadness because they've been socialized and I've been socialized in a certain kind of way as to we just don't know what to do with that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Not only those kinds of, those we would call negative emotions, but even joy, like just exuberant, passionate, want to run all over and shout all over the church kind of joy in a mainline church. Yeah. And so I find myself as a, I'm, yes, I'm an introverted person, but I am, I'm, I'm an emotional guy and I, I've got to, and I keep saying find places. It's really more about making places. It's really more about authentically being myself in the spaces where I already live, move, and have being. Mm -hmm. And what I tend to do is swallow emotion for fear of how other people are going to react. And I've got to stop that because there's something that is um, soul-diminishing about that. Well, I I mean, Brene Brown tells a great story. Um, I think everyone has heard of Brene Brown at this point, but she's a sociologist and has written a lot and, and is, I mean... Ironically, for this conversation, has is very popular among women, um, less so among men. I think because in general, men have trouble learning from women, um, and because what she researches is shame and vulnerability. Um, but she tells this great story about she was on a book tour and then she was signing books afterwards, and a family came up to her, and it was a mom and two grown-up daughters, and then a husband who was kind of trailing behind, and. She um, she signed the mom. The mom and the daughters were were just talking about how life changing her work had been and how understanding vulnerability had helped them mm. be more real and grow. And anyway, and um, they had gotten their books signed. And then um, the the wife turned to the husband and was like, "Come along." And he's like, "I want to talk to her." And he was, she was like, "No, you don't. Come along." And he was like, "I want to talk to her. Go ahead." And so then they left and he was talking to Brene Brown and said, so I want to know all of your research. You keep talking about shame and vulnerability with women. I want to know how does this apply to men? And she said, oh, well, this is easy. I, I don't, I don't study men. And he said, well, that's convenient, isn't it? Mm. And he said, because my wife and my daughters love your work so much and have found so much freedom in understanding the power of vulnerability, but they want me up on my white horse that if I try to come down off of it, you know, they they will feel threatened by that. They yes. will feel, you know, and so it's just interesting, these gender roles that we have all been socialized into by the culture and that the church in so many places has like, propped them up yes. or or you know enshrined mm-hmm. them and mm-hmm. basically said being faithful to God means you know showing up in the world like a good american man or a good american woman and letting the culture define gender instead of God mm-hmm. and the revelation of God um and and so we have a really hard time um being real and discerning you know what is what is authentic and what is uh, just a, a um something a false truth that we should challenge. And so I really, I think it's great because um, if there's any hope for real reconciliation racially and gender wise, it has to start by creating spaces where people can be vulnerable enough to be truthful about how they're really experiencing life. And in that process of being truthful, learn what's healthy and what's appropriate. And also sometimes learn what's not healthy and what's not appropriate and and there's space to do that there's space to express those emotions in a way that a, a person might make a mistake but the community knows you know the lord is sufficient and we can work through this and we can become healthy but we can't we can't if we have to be perfect all the time yeah. so yeah. and i think i'm going to adopt the language of vulnerability. That's what I need to do because that that really is the issue. I need to learn when and where I can be vulnerable. Right, because I mean, it's not just a matter of you being an introvert or I mean, to be really intentional about how you express emotions is a survival technique for mm-hmm. African Americans mm-hmm. in this country. So, 
Um, it's not just a matter of like, oh, <laughs> be more honest. It's a matter of saying, is it safe for mm-hmm. me um, to show fear, to show anger, to show sadness in this community, or will I become a threat or be unable? You know, people will no longer um, follow me because yeah. of that. And yeah, so. Great. Love it. Affirm it. Not that you need my affirmation. <laughs> no, no, no. That's good. Well, that's good. You have more. He has eight friends. Well, no, I'm, I'm not going to do all eight, but uh, um, I, I realize that I've talked quite a bit about myself <laughs> and my own intentions for 2020, a little bit about the church in terms of, of these uh, faith story videos, but uh, another one for the church for 2020. And I've talked about this before on this podcast, but I, I must be more intentional in 2020 because I've I've given this just a lot of lip service hoping that my talking about it will invite the church or inspire the church to give me permission and I'm waiting for permission that I don't need to wait for permission Correct. I just yeah. need to do some things and 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 this intention is about leaning more into the charismatic and I, I know mm-hmm. I've talked about this before um, on this past Sunday our scripture reading was from Mark chapter 6 where Jesus sends out the 12 and he said um, I give you authority uh, uh, to overcome uh, uh demonic spirits and uh, to heal the sick and they went out and did it and I said church we, we just need to sit with this I mean this really is astonishing and it's easy for us to read it and kind of gloss over it like okay that was fine for them back then that's but right. it's got nothing to do Those with us now. Those were the now. apostles and yeah, yeah. right no this is for us as well and what would this look like if we leaned into this and I left that sermon thinking, okay, no. Also, what would it look like for you, Pastor, to lean into mm-hmm. this when someone says, I'm not feeling well? Let me just take it to our home. When, and as a matter of fact, this happened this morning. When my wife says, I'm not feeling well, there is the expectation that we're going to stop and pray, mm-hmm. right? That, that's just, and, and if we don't, it's like, well, what's wrong with you? Mm-hmm. But I don't carry that over. And I know this is, it's, it's a bit shameful uh, to say this, but it's true. I don't carry that same mentality over into the church for fear of the response of the people, because mm-hmm. I know I'm in a context, and I've been in this context before, in which people experienced the charismatic movement in the 70s. They experienced some people who were prideful and arrogant mm-hmm. and said, well, if you don't do it like us, if you don't speak in tongues like us, then something is wrong with your relationship right. with Jesus, and you're probably out and not in. And people were very wounded by that. Right. And so now when they hear any kind of charismatic talk, they're like, mm, no. Been there, done that, don't want that. And so I try to walk softly, but the reality is I haven't been walking at all. Right. And so I need to lean into it in, in a way that welcomes people. Of course, it's going gonna, it's gonna, it's gonna to rattle some cages a bit, of course. Um, but I want to lean into it in light of the work of Jesus uh, in the in the New Testament, in the four Gospels, because we're spending yeah. this entire year as a congregation, we have this Bible reading plan where we're reading through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And my hope is that we would just, we would see Jesus again for the first time. Yeah, and I think, I mean, you use the metaphor of rattling some cages, and I think, I mean, it's a very apt one. And I just think it's really important to demystify these terms that like, I don't know who you've met. I don't know what you've watched on TV. I don't know what mm. like commercialized entertainment version of this, but charismatic means filled with the spirit. There, There is nothing more classic, traditional and doctrinal about saying we worship the triune God, the Holy Spirit. I mean, <laughs> back to the council of Nicaea, just, mm-hmm. I mean, is, is the spirit of God that we believe dwells in us. And, and to reject that is to reject the plain, 
the plain truth of scripture. So to just sort of acknowledge that we have grown uncomfortable with this and there are some sociological reasons that really explain that. Um, And we just need to begin to walk in this to say, and I think as pastors, it's our job to help create culture. And so to say, this all I I want it to be a very normal part of our culture that we pray for one another, mm-hmm. right? That we pray for one another, not just when there's a tragedy, but when there's a cold. And I very much expect you to get better, but I'll pray for you because I because we were called, if nothing else, just because simply we were told in Scripture to pray for one another. But it's an expression of of love. It's a connecting point, and and we believe that God answers prayers and I think so often people get stuck because they get they get caught in their inability to theologically understand how prayer works and so just to say to people hey you don't have to understand it to do it in fact if you understand it what you understand is probably an idolatrous lie Mm. reductionist lie and if you wait to understand it then you are just waiting um, to experience more of the fullness of God. So we just walk into prayer and and that requires vulnerability and to say as a pastor we're going to be a praying church and and it and some of us will pray in certain ways that are are very loud and beautiful and energetic and emotional and some of us will pray very um quiet, authentic, heartfelt, simple yeah. prayers. And it's not about posturing, right? Jesus talked about that. That's right. You don't need to go out into the streets and wave your arms around and get everyone to hear you. In fact, I think, you know, a lot of times we have this vernacular of saying, I'm praying for you. And I want to say like, okay, but are you? Like, Mm. instead of just saying, I'm praying for you, just say, hey, may I, let's pray together right now. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't have to be this 5, 10, 15 minute thing. Just to say, just a simple prayer. Like, I'm not like the prophets on Mount Carmel, you know, dancing right. and crying mm-hmm. and screaming, being goaded by Elijah. I can just say, God, you're God, and I trust that you're good. And be with my friend, be with my brother, be with my sister, be in this, pray for healing, whatever that looks like. Um, make me a blessing. Show me how to love. I mean, we all have an authentic prayer language that we need to recover or uncover Um and so just to encourage people to do that and encourage people to say, it's okay to start at the beginning. It's okay. Yeah. And I have to help people, um, with their expectations. A couple of years ago, I introduced the idea of a healing service, like mm-hmm. a regular healing service, whether monthly or quarterly. And it really scared folks. And I just didn't understand why. And as I listened, I realized that they were thinking that if we have a healing service and we pray for people and let's say no one gets healed, what does that say about our church? What does that say about God? And we don't even want to have to deal with that. And I got to let them know it's okay. We, we are lifting folks up to the Lord and we're letting the Lord do what the Lord wants to do well, and, also to say, and leave the... Yeah, we're walking by faith, not by sight. Yeah. And we're saying this isn't a performance and there are no special effects. And we are a people who believe in prayer and we believe that God heals and we're going to go in prayer before God together. But I mean, talk about you have not because you ask not. Mm. I mean, I think that's a lot that's of really us. Good. There are things we don't pray for because we are afraid that God will say no, or we are afraid that we won't see results like we expect. And so we would just rather not pray the prayer yeah, because we just are we don't afraid want to be disappointed or, or yeah. we're afraid of, of what we will discover if mm. we were brave enough just to be honest and vulnerable and pray. So that's yeah. great. This is a super long podcast. I know. I, I was thinking that's why I'm not going to do any more. <laughs> so this year I'm going to be emotional, run, and be charismatic, and you're going to write a book and develop leaders. And change my sermon writing And habits. change your sermon writing. And I did not say I was going to write a book. Oh. I said I was going to be more intentional about writing beyond sermons. Just to clarify. Just to clarify. Thank you all for listening, if you still are. And we will be back to our normal um 
pattern next time we gather. Um, but you should definitely check out Derida Church. Um, you can Google Derida Church in Charlotte, North Carolina, and it will pop you right over to their website. And you can listen to Yolando's. You should listen to Yolando's sermons on the Podbean website um, hosting site and you can search for Derida Church podcast and you can find out more about The Grove at thegrovecharlotte.org or you can listen to the sermons at The Grove including a really great sermon by a guest preacher last Sunday um, if you go to iTunes and search The Grove Charlotte podcast so thanks for listening thanks for listening